1: In this chapter James is talking about real faith. The word faith is all over this chapter. Now, James is not concerned to tell us much about the content of faith. He says simply in verse 1 that it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, James's concern is to show us what faith looks like as it is lived out by the believer. This is a continuation of the same theme we encountered at the end of chapter 1. There, James said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, real religion, which he equates here with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, real religion involves bridling the tongue caring for the lowly, and keeping oneself unstained by the world. The rest of the letter represents an expansion upon those themes. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So, the first thing that James says about real faith is that it sees people the way God sees people. Real faith rejects the value system of the world. The world makes a big fuss over the rich and the pretty and the powerful. But Christianity considers all people as having tremendous dignity and worth simply because they are created in the image and likeness of God. In fact, while real faith treats all people equally in terms of their dignity and worth, real faith has a particularly tender disposition towards the poor. It is, after all, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was constantly moved with compassion toward the poor. Sam Albury says marvelously here, acceptable religion is inclined toward the needy, not away from them. That is a wonderful summary of these first seven verses. Beware of any movement passing itself off as a version of Christianity that does not to some extent incline towards the poor. That is not the faith that Jesus Listen to what Jesus said about his own call and ministry in Luke 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus didn't turn away anybody but he himself was definitely turned towards the poor and needy. And the same must be true of any authentic Christian community. Verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Showing partiality is the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. So it's a really big deal because loving your neighbor, James says, is the royal law. Now, scholars go back and forth among themselves as to what James means by calling this the royal law. Some say it means that this is the most important law or the foundational law. The Apostle Paul says something like that. He says in Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So James could be saying that. And if he is saying that, then he's saying the same thing as the Apostle Paul. However, the more likely option grammatically is that James is calling this the law of the king. He has just referred to our faith as faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of those three words mean king. Christ means the anointed one, the son of David, the long-awaited Jewish king. The word Lord means master, sovereign, or king. So James has just told us that our faith is the faith of King Jesus, the king. And here he is saying, this is the royal law. This is the law that came from King Jesus, who said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, John 13, 34. A lot of commentators think that that is what James is really saying here. You can't say that you're following Jesus if you're showing partiality to the rich. That is so not Jesus. Jesus said that we are to love others irrespective of their social status. We just love others because they're made in God's image. We care for others, even if they come from outside our tribe. That's the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. We love and care for others. We assume responsibility for their basic needs. That's the Jesus way. More than that, that's the kingdom law. And laws, James readers know very well, cannot be ignored without consequence. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying two things here that we want to be careful to notice. First of all, he's saying that laws are an organic whole. You can't obey one and ignore another and imagine that you're okay. You're not okay. You weren't okay in Judaism. The rabbi said that if a man performs all the commandments save one, he is guilty of all and each to break one precept is to defy God who commanded the whole. Well, the same thing is true in Christianity. You can't think that you're a good Christian because you don't commit adultery or you don't steal from your neighbor. If you ignore the command to love and show mercy, then you are guilty of the whole. That's how laws work. J. Alec Machir says here, the thing which gives the law its indivisible nature is the character of the God who spoke it. This means that there is nothing arbitrary about the commandments of the law. Each one reflects some facet of the divine nature, closed quote. The laws that a king gives reflect who the king is. And our king is characterized by mercy. So if you want to receive mercy from the king, then you better extend mercy to one another. Jesus said that in the parable of the unmerciful servant. And his brother James is saying the exact same thing here judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. The last thing James says there in the paragraph probably needs to be explained. What does it mean that mercy triumphs over judgment? Well, John Calvin is incredibly helpful here. He explains that it is not that our mercy, however great it may be, shown towards men merits the mercy of God, but that God would have those whom he has adopted, as he is to them a kind and an indulgent father, to bear and exhibit his image on the earth according to the saying of Christ, be ye merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Yes, I think that is exactly right. And it prepares us perfectly for what James says next. Verse 14. we remember that James is concerned here to describe real living faith. One way to do that, of course, is to contrast real living faith with inauthentic dead faith. Real faith works. Real faith loves. Real faith responds to the needs of brothers and sisters. Again, This is no different than what Jesus said in the parable of the sheep and the goats. By the way, do you get the impression that James was a devotee of the parables of Jesus Christ? Me too. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus compares himself to a king who divides all people into two camps at the final judgment. The sheep are the real believers and the goats are the false believers. The king said that the real believers had fed him and clothed him and cared for him, but the sheep can't remember doing any of that but the king says to them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me matthew 25 40 are you hearing that real believers understand that doing things for the poor and vulnerable among the people of god is doing them to jesus Caring for the poor among the brotherhood is worship. It is care directly applied to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, James anticipates an objection in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James will not even hear about any version of faith that does not include works of love, obedience, and compassion. Do not try to tell me about your perfect orthodoxy. Even the demons have perfect orthodoxy. Real faith, saving faith, is about more than believing true things about God. Real faith manifests in obedient action. That's what he means by referring to the story of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's quoting there from Genesis 15, 6. And he certainly isn't contradicting it. There is no contradiction here between James and Paul. James agrees that Abraham was saved by faith. But what kind of faith? That's the question James is interested in. Certainly, it was no dead faith that saved Abraham. On the contrary, when we keep reading the Abraham story all the way through to Genesis 22, we discover that Abraham's faith was a faith that obeyed, even when the commands of God were incomprehensible to him. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, his beloved son, the son God had promised to bless. That didn't make any sense. That didn't seem right. But Abraham obeyed anyway, and by so doing, proved that his faith was living, alive, and real. Now, you may not like the word "proved," but you better get over it. Apparently, God doesn't take us at our word. He looks for proof. That's Why, the story in Genesis 22, ends with God saying, Stop, Abraham, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. For now I know. Atah yadati. God likes to know. He likes to test. He likes to see. And real faith is easy to spot because it looks like loving, trusting, obedience to the king. For those who think that this paragraph in James is somehow a threat to the Protestant doctrine of sola fide, you should know that Luther said the exact same thing. There isn't a whispers difference between Luther and James here. In his commentary on Galatians, Luther said that the faith of Christ has no room for persons who say, let us only believe and do what we please. Not so, you enemies of grace. It is true that only faith justifies, but I speak here of faith which after it has justified is not idle, but occupied and exercised in working through love. Closed quote. That is the only faith that matters. That is the only faith that saves. And that is the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word.